Through the Innovation Station Road Trip Series, the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues and Intergovernmental Affairs Team at the U.S. Department of State are facilitating conversations between women innovators, local governments, and other community leaders. Their discussions illuminate persistent challenges while brainstorming opportunities and strategies for collaborative action. Welcome to SGWE's Innovation Station. All right, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a distinct pleasure to be with you here today. My name is Delphi Cleveland. I am a special assistant to the ambassador in the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues here at the U.S. Department of State. I have the honor of moderating, as I said, our second panel, which will focus on the critical importance of dismantling the digital divide. Today, we live online. Our work, education, social lives, and even romantic pursuits are taking place in hybrid formats, if not entirely on the interweb. The COVID-19 pandemic, which deepened the divide between the haves and have-nots, highlighted the life-threatening determinants of lacking access to digital means. Children without consistent internet access or individual smart technologies missed critical years of learning. At 15 years of age, on average, only 0.5% of girls report wanting to become IT professionals compared to 5 plus percent of boys. Worldwide, 327 million fewer women than men have a smartphone and can access the mobile internet. Women are underrepresented in IT jobs, top management, and academic careers, and men are four times more likely than women to be IT specialists. Despite such reporting, recent digital transformations have provided new avenues for economic empowerment of women and can contribute to gender equality. The internet, digital platforms, mobile phones, and digital financial services offer leapfrog opportunities for all and can help bridge the digital divide by giving women the possibility to earn additional income and access wider amounts of information. Given this context, I'm particularly delighted to be introducing our three panelists. They'll share their work to bridge the digital divide in various communities. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming our panelists, Grace Smurl, Chief of Civic Innovation and Technology at the City of Louisville, Kentucky, Anna Peralta Chamas, Director of Innovation in Miami-Dade County, and Brianna Ray, Director of the Rural Innovation Network. Thank you all so much for being with us today. I wanna to kick things off as we did in our first panel by asking each of you to briefly introduce yourself and please preview your work. Grace, we can start with you. Thank you so much, Delphi. As uh, you mentioned, my name is Grace Semrall. I'm the Chief of Civic Innovation and Technology for Louisville Metro Government, which is the Consolidated City County Government of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, for those who aren't familiar with Louisville, we are the largest city in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. We have a population of about three quarters of a million people spread over close to 400 square miles and are responsible for um, ensuring that uh, government isn't just responsive and effective today, but that we are paying attention to what is important in the future, um, preparing our residents for uh, a far more digital future. Thank you. Thank you so much, Grace. Anna, can I turn it over to you? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Anna Chavez. I'm grateful for joining in this really impactful dialogue. It's a really important topic that I'm really happy is coming to the forefront. 
much more than uh, than ever. Um, I'm currently working as director of innovation under Mayor Daniela Levine Cava. Um, as uh, Grace mentioned, her population we serve over three million in our area, and in the greater South Florida region, we're almost eleven. So it is a large populace and everything that you mentioned, Delphi, is really, really important. And our mayor, uh, understanding the importance of this, has developed an innovation economic development team, which I am helping lead, and it's very exciting. We are prioritizing her four E's. We want to create programs that drive the economy. We want to drive programs that protect the environment, enable engagement, and most importantly, ensure equity to opportunities, especially to those that are underserved and minorities such as females. So I'm honored to be here and excited to be talking among amongst these incredible women and female panelists who are going to help drive this divide and opportunities for women across the, the, you know, the nation. So thank you for having me. Anna, thank you for being here. And last but not least, Brianna, over to you. Hello, um, I'm Brianna Ray, Director of the Rural Innovation Network at the Center on Rural Innovation, um, more often referred to as Corey. I'm also very excited um, about having the privilege to be on a panel with such dynamic women. Um, Corey itself is a national nonprofit organization headquartered in Heartland, Vermont. Um, and as an organization, we work with rural communities across America in assisting them in identifying their own local assets, opportunities, and gaps that could help or hinder their path in building um, tech and digital economy um, ecosystems and strategies. So specifically, I have the privilege of empowering a team that provides access to a diverse set of national resources in the areas of access to capital, job training partnerships, scalable tech entrepreneurship, um, and most importantly, building inclusive ecosystems, um, programs, and opportunities. So our 33 communities work as a large community of practice known as the Rural Innovation Network, and we assist them in advancing um, their tech economy development and we connect our members with other rural leaders and advocates working on similar development initiatives at different stages of economic development. Um, and we provide them access to economic expertise, data mapping tools, working groups, various partnerships to pull from. Um, by creating a national network of tech economy ecosystems, we're able to accelerate their learnings and really amplify the work on the ground that they're doing to advance their own economy. Um, so thank you and excited to be here. Thank you so much, Brianna. That's fascinating. Um, so I appreciate all of these glowing introductions. To start off, I'd like to ask one framing question for the group, which I'll invite each of you to answer in turn. Then we'll proceed with a specific question to each of you before opening up for the audience Q&As. Audience members, as a reminder, you're invited to submit questions via the chat box um, at any time throughout this panel. Without further ado, again, the framing question. The COVID-19 pandemic fundamentally altered our relationship to online presences. As many of us became dependent on technology as we are right now, uh, for the sake of our jobs, our education, and our human connection at distance. What are the biggest challenges for your constituencies and your target populations um, now and what have been over the last two years? And what have been some of the most impressive innovations that have emerged from combating these challenges? Um, why don't we begin in reverse order? Brianna, how about we start with you? Yeah, 
Um, so COVID, as I'm sure with other areas, have impacted rural areas very hard over the last two years. Um, and the devastation has led to a larger gap in really the narrative that tech is even possible in rural communities and a larger gap in the number of tech jobs fulfilled by people in those areas. So like, when the world moved online and remote jobs became the, the norm, it was more difficult in the communities we support. Um, and the main reason is broadband access. So broadband access in rural communities is not the same as it is in urban communities. So when you don't have broadband access, you don't have that same level of ability to upskill or to have a remote job or to have a digital job or tech job that requires you to be online. So we we clearly saw like this large gap, um, a larger gap forming and who has a tech job and the ability to have a tech job or a digital job or a remote job and who doesn't because of that lack of broadband access. Um, and that was, you know, apparent and clear before COVID and just became largely <laughs> Um, apparent and a huge factor when COVID hit, um, particularly in rural areas. Um, so again, when we see this large, you know, this huge gap, um, although it was devastating to a lot of communities, I think what we also saw was this incentivizing um, and desire to close that gap even more so um, after COVID. So now we have communities that are, you know, more focused on starting like remote programs, more focused on boot camps, more focused on upskilling. Um, we're starting to see a lot of interest in applying for some of the larger scale programs that rural communities didn't necessarily have large access to before. Um, you know, huge highlight for us is most recently we had seven out of what was then 28 communities apply for the Adventure Challenge Grant through the EDA's Build the Scale program. And just a few weeks ago, learned that all seven were gonna be awarded so that's nearly $13 million collectively going towards advancing their digital economy ecosystems, building inclusive ecosystems, um, launching and supporting scalable tech startups and adding capacity to programs for the community. Um, it's really been a major highlight and a huge success for them. And we're really excited to watch them grow and excel um, and really kind of you know, shorten that gap into and change the narrative as to what's really possible. That's very exciting. Um, thank you for sharing, Brianna. Anna, over to you again. Yeah, I mean, everything that Brianna is saying, I think is happening across the nation. And I think all governments um, and all um, ancillary partners and community partners, we're all working together to do very similar types of programs. And I believe, and Brianna, I wanna to talk to you after all of this, because I do believe that all of these worthwhile efforts are things that we should not just create from scratch in each local community. It is something that we need to start working more and more and connecting with each other, uh, sort of to remove that ego around um, ideas and actually come together and converge and create these solutions that can make real um, impact, right? And 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 not just in the rural areas, but in anywhere that has a gap. Here we all have very urban areas that um, some are impoverished or crime-ridden, and it, it is really important that we've um, worked together to create programs that give um, ability for younger communities, uh, younger um, members of our community access to 
um, areas where they feel safe and they're able to, um, you know, build their skills um, and and that we're able to um, give them those opportunities, upskilling opportunities, you know, to build the talent pipelines to keep, you know, these folks home and and not you know, because there's such a huge influx of, in our population from everyone in the nation that wanted to be in warm, sunny Miami, um, hanging out on the beach, uh, working remotely, um, it's, it's priced people out of the area. So not only do we have the rural problems that Mariana was talking about, but we also have those with all of the, you know, um, with that influx that it's becoming unaffordable to live in this community. And so we want to make sure that we tackle the housing issues, that we tackle the broadband access issues, because, and so the innovation for us really wasn't so much a tech innovation, but it was a process innovation. It was an innovation in collaboration. It was an innovation in doing things in a new way and opening our minds to to really tackling things together when before we might have been working in silos as municipal governments or you know separate entities all working sort of in their own narrow vision in the direction that was best for their you know immediate community community and now we're looking at things from a much larger more comprehensive holistic perspective to really look at taking you know what was and what we're faced with and really finding real solutions right for real equity um you know and for real access to opportunity so i echo everything brianna said and then added a little bit of that urban flair <laughs> we appreciate the urban flair and for a little bit more of it grace can we turn it over to you of course i think what's so interesting about louisville is because it's a consolidated city county government we have urban suburban and rural all in that 400 square miles and what um, having a municipality of this size uh, from a geographic standpoint means that it's very clear it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution when it comes to solving the digital divide. Now, um, Louisville has been um, really keen on understanding the ground truth of the digital divide for many years, in part because we knew it was going to be one of the biggest barriers to having members of our community be able to attain family supporting wage jobs. If we want to radically change the social divide in our community, we need to make sure that those type of opportunities exist um, and that individuals in our community who are suffering have the opportunity for their whole and full human potential to flourish. So um, we understood that the digital divide in our community very much mirrored the social divide. Um, in large part, but that there are certainly areas of our community that just completely lacked access. Um, the housing density isn't available in those neighborhoods. And so private internet service providers aren't financially incentivized to provide service to them. Um, so Louisville, again, studying this problem knew that it also wouldn't just be about access, access either from um, actual service availability or affordability, but uh, really we needed a three-legged stool approach. Um, we need to deal with access. We need to deal with hardware. Uh, as much as we love to be able to leverage our smartphones and smart devices to be able to connect, that's really inadequate for a full digital life. And I, I just want to call that out. Um, try applying to college or uh, financial aid on a smartphone. Try doing, um, you know, 
significant taxes on your smartphone. Try doing anything of substance on your smartphone, and you're going to very quickly realize that it's inadequate and that our residents also deserve devices that allow them to have that full digital life. And then finally, the skills to be able to fully utilize it. And so just looking at the numbers prior to the pandemic, 30% um, of our community were not connected at home. That's a significant number. 20% of our uh, residents did not have a, a laptop or desktop. Um, and at this point, 91% of jobs require some level of digital skills just to even apply, not necessarily just to, to even get the job. So um, when the pandemic hit, uh, things that we were trying to elevate in our community um, became visible overnight. And I do appreciate that it gave us an opportunity to have this very frank and direct conversation in our community about who was being left behind and what very intentional steps we were going to take um, to try and solve these things at scale. Uh, because again, prior to the pandemic, we had done things like um, pre-qualify a thousand households and low-cost internet plans and heard from so many other families that even those low-cost plans are too much for them. Uh, at this point, um, thanks to it, so often it's a but-for conversation for our communities. Um, thanks to the Affordable Connectivity Program, we have 51,000 households enrolled. And so that's a 51x increase. I, I just want to say that, um, if it, again, I'm looking at my colleagues on these screens. I know their work. I'm sure they're experiencing similar types of, again, lift, but it, it wasn't an overnight success. It was because of years of hard work. Um, in our communities, building up stakeholder partnerships so that we could get to this point. I am avidly taking notes because those are some really startling statistics, Grace, um, and some very impressive numbers. So congratulations on all of that incredibly hard work. Um, can I stay with you for a minute and ask what steps you and your mayor's office are taking to ensure that people are not being left behind? Um, are there any particular initiatives you can identify that target populations such as women or girls or youth um, to make sure that they are coming with you into the fold of, of these developments? Absolutely. And so back to our three-legged stool approach, um, we know that women in our community are the primary caregivers. And so um, making sure that uh, the, the children that they are responsible for uh, raising into our, our new generation in Louisville, have all the tools they need to succeed. Um, there's a lot of intentionality around making sure, again, that they're enrolled in the Affordable Connectivity Program, that our school system, the Jefferson County Public School System, takes full advantage of the Emergency Connectivity Fund to make sure that there's a one-to-one -one device for children. Um, I know that we had some tough decisions to make at the beginning of the pandemic. In fact, one of the first things that the mayor's office worked on was how we're going to get 100,000 kids online instead of having them either cancel the school year or send home paper packets with school meals. Um, and we did it. it. It took a lot of effort, but we were able to secure 60,000 Google Chromebooks and send them home. It did mean that families that had more than one child um, who didn't have uh, other devices for those children would have to share them. But nonetheless, you know, we could ensure that each family had a device. Um, we did things like make sure that those who weren't connected through their home internet, um, a broadband subscription were given mobile hotspots so that they could connect and continue um, some form of instruction. And so those kind of pro programs continue to this day. Um, it's not just a, a, 
just because kids are back in school doesn't mean that the homework gap went away. So making sure that, again, moms are supported and are getting the tools they need are so important. From a skilling standpoint, um, Louisville has been uh, monitoring very closely um, some numbers that came out of both the Brookings Institution as well as Deloitte. Uh, prior to the pandemic, they had cited um, a top 10 list that we didn't want to be on, which was um, we were the eighth um, MSA, the potentially most at risk for losing jobs due to AI and automation. And it would hit jobs held by marginalized groups especially. So uh, just base figures, we were talking about 28% of jobs at risk of being lost due to AI and automation, 44% for those that are, um, are are Black residents, and many of those, again, are our mothers and heads of households. So uh, a lot of intentionality went into running programs like our Future Work Initiative, it was a public-private partnership with Microsoft, designed very specifically to create equitable pathways. And so when uh, this launched in 2019, um, and uh, and when the pandemic hit, we were able to run a COVID-19 rapid upskilling campaign, uh, letting residents know that we were um, giving away free uh, credentialing classes for them, and that those who would participate would be uh, entered into a raffle for a free uh, device, a new um, laptop. Again, the stats were overwhelmingly positive. They were, there were women, there were women of color who were both, again, indicating interest, enrolling and completing these credential programs. And, uh, and in fact, you know, we got to hear stories of people whose lives were changed. They were able to obtain jobs that allowed them to work safely from home um, at the very early days of the pandemic because of, of um, initiatives like this. That is really wonderful to hear. And again, huge kudos and congratulations, Grace. Um, and it's wonderful that we all get to learn from what Louisville is undertaking. Um, I'm going to turn over to our other uh, constituency, Anna, and ask you, Miami-Dade has a unique and quite diverse constituency. Um, is there anything that you and your offices are doing particularly to reach out and engage with these diverse communities to strengthen their access to digital platforms? So um, we have various programs that are taking place right now. One of the biggest things that um, our mayor did when she started office and took office, uh, it's going to be two years soon, um, was to um, in, engage the entire community in what was called the Thrive 305, which was just one of the largest uh, feedback programs to really understand the needs of the community. Speaking of access to good digital platforms. Okay, we'll give her another minute to reconnect. And in the meantime, Brian, I'll turn to your question and we'll circle back to Anna when she's able to join again. So in terms of Corey, it has an incredibly impressive network, as you mentioned when you were introing for us. Um, you've kind of hit rural communities across the United States from what I can tell. And I'm curious to learn more about how you're identifying these communities that you work with and what your model is for equitably integrating their needs into the larger work of your organization. So if you could speak to that a little bit, we'd be grateful. Yeah, so we use a few different criteria um, for community selection. 
Um, first and foremost, the community has to be rural um, with a population size between 5,000 and 50,000. So not super tiny, um, also not excessively large, and also not a suburb of an urban area. Um, and we do utilize government data and so forth to determine population size. Um, they must have some sort of fiber internet downtown, um, approximately 75% of the population must have broadband access or a plan um, for that access. And we also like to see a post-secondary institution in the region that is attempting to produce some sort of tech talent through CS programs, digital skilling, food camps, um, could be traditional degree programs or something like a certificate. Um, but we like to see like some initiative that there is some, you know, something happening there um, in terms of producing tech, um, tech talent and um, upskilling their community. Um, and also a very important factor is there must be organizational leadership capacity. And that's having individuals that are actually doing the work um, that have a demonstrated capacity to bring poor leadership representative, um, representative of the demographics of the region um, that are willing to participate in the process. This could be people from higher ed, um, workforce development boards, um, entrepreneurship organizations, co-working spaces. Those are just a few examples. But whomever they bring to the table, we want to see a focus and a plan that they have on equity and inclusion in their economic development efforts, as well as a commitment to focusing on building an inclusive digital ecosystem um, after completing their strategy work. Strategy work excuse me. Um, so Grace mentioned earlier, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution, and we operate by the same notion. So we are a capacity-building organization, so we don't do the work in the communities. What we do is we teach and empower the leaders of the communities to do the work themselves, so we provide them with the resources and the tools that promote the buy-in and the narrative shift and the partnership. Um, but most importantly, our work is based on achieving like their vision and goals, whatever that may be. So each community that enters our network already has a customized strategy that they've built that is very specific to their own service region and centered around support of um, the scalable tech and access to digital jobs in their region and how they plan or vision themselves in offering and expanding in those areas. Um, again, all while ensuring it's done in an inclusive and equitable manner. And so we assist communities in designing programs that are more diverse than the population of the community itself. So for example, if a community has a population that is 40% black, we'd like to see their programs have a larger impact and seek a higher percentage than 40% enrolled. Um, if there's a large veteran population or populations of people going through substance recovery? Are the programs designed in such a way that they can join and continue um, contribu contributing to the betterment of their lives? Um, are we proactively addressing the barriers of what's prohibiting people from accessing digital jobs or accessing digital content? Um, taking into account the time of day of these programs and activities, childcare. Um, we're attempting to close the digital divide between rural and urban and help communities plan for and upskill and identify and acquire digital jobs that may be so readily available in other areas. Um, and the hope is that people living in rural areas can continue to live, thrive, and have sustainable futures um, with having tech and digital jobs. So our work is truly built around the vision of each community. So there isn't a, you know, we have a, we have a program and we have a model, but we don't try to fit communities into that model. We actually take that model and, you know, we have 33 communities, so we have 33 different strategic plans. Um, it's very customized.
to how they see themselves and the path that they want to be on. And so we work really hard to not push any sort of particular agenda that, you know, we may have or we think they should do. It's really about them and their community and how they want to advance um, their access to digital jobs and entrepreneurship in their own communities. So we we work really hard at at helping them build their own vision um, and reaching their own goals. Such an uplifting force, Brianna. I really, I really admire that. Um, do you have any highlight or spotlight kind of cases that you'd like to share with us of communities that have come to you with really kind of innovative visions or ones that you've particularly enjoyed working with or seen, seen impressive outcomes? Um, that's, that's almost like asking who's your favorite child. Um, <laughs> a little unfair. <laughs> um, there's, there's plenty. Um, I would say we have an ecosystem builder uh, in Taos, New Mexico, um, and their innovation hub is called The Hive. And um, we've watched them. We They came to us before The Hive was even open. And so they had a vision. They had a plan. Um, they didn't necessarily have the capacity or the resources at the time. Um, we've watched, you know, those ecosystem builders you know, build and climb and join every pilot program we've had for digital skilling, um, introduce those into their community, um, introduce them um, to other, you know, partners in the community. Um, we've helped them and assist them in providing assistance for the EDA Build to Scale program I mentioned earlier that they were awarded. And so we've had the opportunity to watch them um, grow from having a staff of one with no innovation hub to now having um, innovation, an innovation hub that's been open for, I think, about a year now um, to just receiving uh, probably close to a million, a million and a half dollars to be able to uh, implement their vision and add a staff. Um, and so our team's been really excited to watch that growth from, you know, a team of one to who knows what their staff will look like next year um, and the programs that they'll be able to have and sustain in the future. That's really wonderful. And sorry to make you pick among your many children. I knew it was an unfair question. Um, Grace, if I can turn back to you while we're still trying to get Anna back online. Um, I'm asking kind of a similar question, which is among the various initiatives that you've rolled out, um, what have been the ones that you've seen the most kind of inspiration sparked in your community? What were the ones that really stuck? Um, and then on the flip side of that, what have been the ones that uh, the in the initiatives that you launched that have taken a little longer to to catch steam? Um, could you elaborate on on both sides? Uh, certainly. I mean, I think that it's it's important to note two things about work in the in digital inclusion, and that is um, first, it is uh, an effort in continuous improvement, meaning that. We'll never get to a point where we say, that's it, we've, we've completed our flag and say we are done with digital inclusion. The goalposts continue to change, and that's because what it means to be a, a fully digitally connected resident continues to change. So just that's something to note, that um, it's, it's an effort and continuous improvement. And the second thing to note is that it's also um, a pipeline of experiences. So on one end, you could think of, those who are just entering the pipeline, they are those who are technology uncomfortable. Uh, they might not have an email address. They certainly never used a desktop or a laptop before. Um, all the way to, again, we're talking about the impacts of AI and automation and these new emerging technologies, opportunities 
for our, our residents to have equitable pathways into that work. And even the new technologies of the future that we're not necessarily aware of. I, I, um, I think it's so interesting that we're at this point having this conversation first, uh, because, um, 20 years ago, you could have people saying that the internet was a luxury and, uh, many people did not, in fact, have an email address yet in our, our community. Um, to then, let's say 15 years ago, where uh, the term is stuck, uh, Cyber Monday, because again, People did not have a broadband connection at home. And so retailers knew that they were going to go shopping on Monday when they went into the office. To this point, it's a, it's a given. We now accept that, um, that having a broadband connection at home is, in fact, a basic utility and a basic part of, of again, um, <laughs> of having a full life in this country. Um, and so technology continues to accelerate and and we certainly don't want to leave people behind. But also, and I wanted to call this out, um, especially around uh, the attitudes of young women who think that tech isn't for them. I love that this panel are all women leaders because you can't be what you can't see. And so it's so important. And so thank you for having this conversation and elevating these voices so that uh, young women are in our community know that um, it's for them. I think one of the programs that I'm most proud of, and I, I touched on this, but again, is, is our digital inclusion work. And because you can't get into the pipeline if you start at technology uncomfortable. And there are lots of different demographics in our community that are in that boat. I want to call that out. Um, you might not think of, um, of, you know, probably the first demographic that will come to mind when it comes to technology uncomfortable are our senior residents. Uh, and certainly um, a lot of them uh, lived at a time, uh, especially when they were productive adults, where they didn't have to use a computer to do their jobs. And so um, making sure that they are, um, they are on the journey of becoming technology comfortable and also know how to um, use the internet safely is a really important part of, you know, our work and, again, demographics. Uh, another population that you might not think of, again, as technology uncomfortable is, in fact, our foreign-born community. They're, they're coming from parts of the world where uh, Internet adoption is, is different at different levels. They might be at, in a place where, again, they're very comfortable with a smartphone, but that doesn't mean that they can, let's say, learn how to code on a smartphone. It's how do you get them connected in a meaningful way so that they have it, both the device and the skills and the home internet connection to thrive. Um, young people are also surprising because you would think digital natives are, are just naturally part of the technology comfortable set. And yet, um, so many of them are exposed to certain technologies through only limited platforms. And so uh, we're discovering that they too need upskilling when it comes to being aware of how other types of platforms work, um, operating systems, for example, if they're uh, used to only being in a browser-based environment, these are all just, it's just very interesting that we're all coming at it from a different place. And so getting everybody to technology comfortable, um, being one of the central missions of the Digital Inclusion Initiative is something I'm incredibly proud of. Thank you so much, Grace. I was, again, avidly taking notes, and I especially appreciate you can't be what you can't see. 
Um, I'll be incorporating that into my quotes of the day over here at the State Department. Are you able to hear us now? Anna, are you back online? I am. I don't even know if you guys Wonderful. can see me because I did it via my cell phone. I'm so sorry. Uh, don't worry. Ironically, Director of Innovation, <laughs> and we're talking digital divide. Imagine I have four devices, uh, multiple <laughs> apps, massive fiber, ATT fiber, <laughs> not to promote ATT. And uh, yeah, that happened. So I'm sorry. It was bound that. to happen. It's just <laughs> yeah. proving our point that this is incredibly integral um, for yeah. even us. Absolutely. Um, so I want to give you the floor back. We've been chatting while you've been gone, but I want to give you space and time to continue to speak on um, outreach to diverse communities. Another question I had for you is the role of women um, in some of your initiatives. So either or both of those questions um, and any examples you can provide would be welcome. Wonderful. So um, that's a lot to cover. So I'm going to get to as much as I can because I know we're almost at the end. We are we are at this unprecedented shift that's taking place with Web3. And happily and lo locally, we are driving that. And there is a women in tech movement over here that I'm very proud to be a part of. Um, and we are working to build Web3 together. Our mayor who broke glass ceilings, we have an incredible female CIO. She's developed this, um, this independent innovation arm to to run alongside our CTO, C slash CIO, um, so that so that the day to day continues to happen, and that we could really take innovation and drive it in a new direction. And I love the idea of having this independent function that I'm leading, and having powerful, strong women confident in in their role in technology is something that we are. Uh, we have been building for years and we are now reconvening to build that momentum. And it is incredible how they are mentoring young women to do the same. We are developing incredible programs through this Innovation Economic Development Office that focus on things that I heard Grace talk about in terms of upskilling, um, even reskilling if people want to reinvent themselves we are, um, whether it's a technical trade and, and doing micro-credentials or credentialing, we are also funding our local public universities to, to give um, for those that cannot afford um, technical training or computer to, uh, or any type of tech track, whether it's cybersecurity, AI, and we're opening that up to minorities and we're making sure that the, there are demographics that handle, you know, that work with not, you know, black, brown, female, um, you know, um, those that meet a certain uh, income criteria to ensure that everyone has access to those things. We are releasing a broadband equity plan um, that is, is a, an incredible program and we're going to be launching that and also an innovation authority independent. We're looking at developing ancillary programs that run alongside governments so that we are able to fast track solutions. Government is cumbersome. You know, we're, we're slow sometimes. 
um, no matter how fast we want to be. And we want, we need to make sure, um, as as both Brianna and Grace were talking, that we we rapidly deploy these solutions because time is changing fast and technology is going to move faster than we can keep up with. So I don't know if that covered all of that um, rather quickly, but I know that you wanted to open it for Q&A. So thank you for taking me back. No, I appreciate, we appreciate you giving us that rundown and we are running out of time. So I'm going to ask um, each of you to maybe take one minute to provide your tips and tricks and advice you have for our audience. Um, if any of them are looking at these issues from their various perches, what is your advice on getting communities access to overcoming this digital divide? What are your words of wisdom to our audiences? And maybe Brianna, we'll start with you and then we'll be wrapping this panel up. Sure. I think one of the biggest things, um, Grace mentioned that you, you can't be what you can't see. And that's constantly showing examples. Um, they may seem just like small to you, um, you know, but it could be a huge example for someone else um, thinking that it's not possible. So narrative shift, um, buy-in from community members for us are, is more important than buy-in for like local governments. Um, if you're really looking to impact a community, you have to start at the community level um, and just and show them what's really possible. You know, continually providing stories, um, you know, things that they can say, like, I see myself in that. Um, and so I know we work really hard with our community leaders and ecosystem builders on the ground. You know, share with us, you know, who these folks are. Uh, we want to take their picture. We want to put them on our website. We want to share their stories. We want to amplify them as people. Um, and not necessarily as organizations or part of an organization. So I would say really, really work hard at, at showing people positive examples, um, even just the, the tiniest of, of examples, so they can see what's possible. Wonderful. Thanks, Brianna. And briefly, Anna, your words of wisdom? Don't be afraid to take a risk. Um, I think it, it is critical that in these times, we trust within our spirit um, and know that the possibilities are endless. And there is always a resource out there available. Um, and as um, as Brianna shared, you know, it is important that we, you know, align to the narratives and the stories of success around us and that we build on that momentum and leverage it. We can't be afraid to leverage each other to succeed. Beautiful. Very well said. And Grace, last but not least. I think um, I want to point out this is not a zero-sum game. So our communities will succeed together and uh, know that you're not doing this work alone. Um, if you feel like you're alone, reach out. Uh, reach out to me. Reach out to the rest of the panelists. We're here to help support you and, uh, and make sure that you succeed as well. This podcast is derived from audio recordings of SGOE's Innovation Station virtual event series. The views expressed in the preceding episode are those of the featured innovators and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues, the U.S. Department of State, 
or the U.S. government. For more information on the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues, its initiatives, and programs, please visit the State Department website at www.state.gov.